Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3 read, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Hello, welcome back to Think This Way. I'm Bryce Beal, one of the elder pastors here at Faith Bible Church, and I have Andrew Walden with me yet again. Andrew, thanks for being on here so many times for us. Appreciate that. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Well, we've enjoyed listening to you, genuinely. That's not flattery, I promise. We really have. So what I just read there um, from Leviticus chapter 10 about Nadab and Abihu is a difficult passage And it has God acting in a way that if you were Aaron, the parents of the parent of Nadab and Abihu, you probably would not agree with what God did. It says at the end, Aaron held his peace after Moses explained what God did and why. But that would be difficult to lose two of your sons because they offered up strange fire before the Lord. What we're talking about today is this idea that God is not safe. And I'll explain where that title comes from in just a little bit. But the point of it right now is God does things being fully in control, able to prevent whatever he wants to prevent, decreeing what comes to pass. God does things that simply do not make sense to us often as believers living our lives. So that's what we want to talk about today. One thing this calls to my own mind by way of personal example is About a week, I guess maybe a week or two weeks after I got married to Michaela, many people are aware that we were out running or jogging or doing something, and all of a sudden her feet lost feeling. So that was unusual. (laughs) And so that continued up her legs until all the way up to her waist. She could not feel anything below there. And so, of course, uh, actually at the time, uh, we had a one-month gap where our old insurance, her old insurance under her parents was gone because we just got married and we were getting new insurance the next month. And we said to each other, don't get sick this month. (laughs) So she says, we're not going in the hospital. Finally, I say, "Uh, yeah, we are. You can't feel your legs. So we went in the hospital and sure enough, she's diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. That was at the time, especially something just not easy to understand. I didn't feel any anger toward God per se. It wasn't my temptation. But confusion, certainly. Why would God allow this to happen? We just got married, just getting started here at Faith Bible as a pastor. It was certainly didn't come with any explanation attached to it. It just happened. Uh, Andrew, I was wondering if you also, in thinking about your own life as a Christian, could think of an instance where God has done something or allowed something that just didn't make sense to you. The one that really pops into my mind is the one that most recently happened with my dad's uh, illness of getting COVID at the time we, we had absolutely no idea that it was going to hit him as hard as it did. So he, he got it and mentioned this in a previous podcast that we all were kind of joking around with him like, okay, have a great week off. And 
then four and a half months later, he was finally getting out of the hospital after bouts of pneumonia and other infections and just random things hitting him over and over again. And it, it did not make sense in the fact that he, he was a healthy man. He'd been in the hospital, I think, one time before that. Um, he was within the age demographic, but he didn't check any other boxes as far as COVID actually affecting him. But not only did it affect him, but it almost killed him three times. And um, it just, it, it honestly it didn't make sense at the time. Uh, we're still making sense of it as we go along, but it, it just didn't make sense at the time. And I think that for anyone listening to this podcast, if you're an older believer, but not even, if you're just a human and you've lived a few years on the earth, you have had experiences like these that simply don't make sense. They're painful. And you think, if I were God and I had all control, I wouldn't let these things happen. I certainly wouldn't decree them, whatever that means, you know. I would just prevent these kinds of painful things from happening. And so as a Christian... You do have to wrestle through this. That's what we want to talk about today. God is not safe. So what do we do when these unsafe things come into our life from God? How do we process those? I want to offer just one thought because there's so much to say, but just one thought to begin with, and that is that God is not you and you are not God. Those of you familiar with Paul's argument in Romans 9 through 11, sort of about a similar matter where God's acting in a way that doesn't make sense to us, and Paul answers those who would object by simply saying, God is the potter and you're the pottery. It's a little bit like the answer given at the end of Job, where Job's complaining, God, what's going on? Why are you causing this pain in my life? What have I done? This isn't fair. You're not being just. And God answers him out of a whirlwind and says, I'm not listening to you. You need to be listening to me. And he was right about that. But again, you see God answering out of a whirlwind. This is not a safe God. One way that God differs from us that's important to keep in mind is in his priorities. A reason that um, these things happening in our life is so difficult for us to process, a part of that is because God prioritizes what most ought to be prioritized, and that is his own glory. You and I, as people, you can guess what we prioritize? People. <laughs> and we should, because we're made in God's image. But see, it's because we're made in God's image. The thing is that today, there's something called humanism. And you can see roots of this, well, way back when, but especially in the West, where we live, if you just go back to, say, the 1700s, uh, you have the Enlightenment take place. And Protagoras, who is a pre-Socratic Greek way, way before, had made a claim, man is the measure of all things. And we're sort of taking this out of context to make this statement, but that's what the Enlightenment was saying. It was, let's stop focusing on God, because we had had a whole century, the 1600s, of the war of religions, Protestantism, Catholicism, and Islam, all of these uh, fighting over the idea of God and his revelation. And so people say, you know what, let's turn away from that and let's focus just on us, people. We can see us, you know. So this is like Alexander Pope in the 1600s, 1700s. He said, the proper study of mankind is man. So with us, given our heritage and where we are culturally today, it's very easy for us to think the most important thing in the world is what? It's 
us, its people. However, that's simply not true. We are very important, but we're only important because we reflect God's image. So if we were to turn to a biblical way of thinking, what's the most important thing in the world? It's not us, it's God's glory. That may be very difficult to swallow again, because where we are, um, but this is simply true. Some of you are aware that R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, during a conference, I wasn't there, but famously had a bunch of questions brought to him, somewhat suggesting, like, why is God doing what he's doing? Why is he allowing suffering and so forth? And after several of these questions, R.C. Sproul famously took the microphone and said, what's wrong with you people? (laughs) And uh, it's an iconic moment, but the point that Sproul was making is why do we have such a high view of ourselves as people and such a low view of God that God no longer has the freedom to act in ways we don't understand. So if we don't understand it, or if he does something for his glory and not ultimately for me and what I desire, then God must be wrong. But that's simply not true. This is a difference of priorities. It doesn't answer every issue we have, why God allows suffering. But we can just give the very slight beginning of an answer by saying, you are right if me... My comfort and ease in this world is the most important thing, then God is totally messing up. If, on the other hand, God's glory really is the most important thing, then God is not messing up, assuming, which the Bible claims, that God's using even our suffering for his glory and to help us to enjoy his glory. So that's not a full answer, but that's the beginning of one. Andrew, I want to ask you, how would you help someone who has one of these circumstances that are very painful and especially confusing? Why is God doing what he's doing? And they're wondering, how could God possibly allow this? I hear this about God's glory, but it's just such a painful circumstance. I would never put my children through anything like this. How would you help someone in such a situation? One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible is the God contest, the contest between the prophets of Baal and God with Elijah. And in that, you see Elijah getting very comfortable with his trust in the Lord while it's going on. So the prophets of Baal are out there. They're dancing around. They're singing around. They're trying to make Baal light the the offering on fire. Nothing ever happens. And in the time... Elijah's sitting in the back and just making comments, actually taunting them at one point, ask if maybe Baal's at the bathroom, which we have a book at home that the kids always laugh at whenever I read that part. But we often stop that story right at the end of that, where God eventually lights the the, uh, offering on fire, even burns up all the water, burns up the altar, everything's burnt, showing his power and his might. That's where we often stop. However, if you continue on with that that passage in 1 Kings, um, you see that it eventually ends in Jezebel still pursuing after Elijah because she's angry about what happened to the prophets of Baal, and Elijah kind of getting into a, a funk. And eventually he uh, retreats back to the, uh, the mountain of Horeb, and at that point, God actually speaks to him. And in that moment, we see in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 11, and he said, go out, and this is the Lord speaking to Elijah, and he said, go out 
and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, and you can continue on there. The reason that I've always loved that is it shows that God is a, a powerful and mighty God. He allows things to happen. He has control of the earthquake. He has control of the wind. He has control of the fire. He can come to us in those strong ways and sometimes does. He does allow suffering to, to happen within our lives. However, in that suffering, he doesn't leave us alone. And he often comes to us in that suffering in just that soft whisper that we need. So a way that I would, I would kind of help someone through this is letting them know that, yeah, this, this, is, this hurts. We can't deny the pain that you're going through right now. We wouldn't deny the pain you're going through right now. And it, it might feel like God's just got his thumb on you. However, he doesn't. He's probably talking to you in a whisper. You need to listen for that whisper. And you need to be in the Word to find that whisper often. That's well said. And... That story really highlights for us when we talk about God operating out of a mindset that his own glory is the most important, which it is. That's not contrary to our benefit because that also recognizes if God's glory is the most important thing in the world, then for any of us made in his image, created to have a relationship with him, whatever helps us to see and cherish, treasure, appreciate the glory of God is really one of the highest goods for us. It is That is the highest good for us because the glory of God is the most important thing. And you see that there, so God allows difficulty in our life. But there you have a purpose in it for Elijah to come alongside him and help him to see something of God's glory there. Not, again, an easy answer for any of us, But it is important to be grounded in this in preparation for suffering that when God does things that don't make sense, he is doing something good in an ultimate sense. So the title of this podcast is He Isn't Safe. And I said I'd tell you where that comes from. That is from C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, this is the most popular of the books. And there's one instant where you have the children who have come to this magical world of Narnia, and they are sitting with talking beavers. And Mr. Beaver is talking with Susan. Mr. Beaver says, quote, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe but he's good. Aslan, who represents Jesus in this magical world, but is a lion, the idea that God is not safe, but good, with emphasis there on the second for us, is the foundation that we have to be on when we enter into suffering. When my wife gets multiple sclerosis, when Andrew's dad has a bad case of COVID, when difficulties come into our life, There are many other things that support us. We go to the Psalms, we look for fellowship, you get a good night's sleep. There are a lot of things we do to endure those trials. But at the very basis of all has to be this conviction that God is good. He's not safe, but he is good. 
the not safe is why I don't understand what he's doing. He's, he's not safe because he's not like me. He doesn't prioritize my physical safety above everything else. He prioritizes his glory. So that's not safe, and that puts us in uncomfortable places. But he is good because he's accomplishing the very best good. The thing is, he doesn't always tell us how he's doing it. That's why we have to trust him. I want to end this podcast by simply returning to the examples Andrew and I gave of a difficulty that God has allowed in our lives. And I want to give just a glimpse of God's goodness in those. But I do want to add this caveat. It's not true that in all cases in this life, God shows us how he's using a confusing, painful circumstance to do something good. Sometimes you just have to wait till eternity. But I do think that the times he does show us something, we should really focus on those, and that helps build our trust in the ways that we don't know he's working. So returning to Michaela's multiple sclerosis, how did God, even though bringing this horribly unsafe thing into my life and my wife's life, how did God demonstrate to us that he is good and he's doing the most good thing in helping to glorify himself? There are a few things that come to mind. Number one, that was probably the best thing that happened to my marriage with Michaela a few weeks in. It really helped us to prioritize the things that are important. It helped us to be spiritually minded. We were not so earthly minded as we might have been tempted to be, which would dishonor God, because we knew we're not going to be here forever. (laughs) And we all know that. But you know, when you get a chronic degenerative disease, you really know that. So it helped us in that way to not sweat the small stuff. It helped us in our marriage. It helped us in our spiritual mindedness. I think it helped the church um, in that people really graciously rallied around us. We were really amazed by that. I think it was helpful for God's people to see As Luther said, the three things that make a pastor is the word of God, prayer, and suffering. It was helpful for God's people to see us, me, and me and my wife suffering so they don't feel like we're isolated off living an easy life while they are not. It helped us to sympathize with others who deal with illness and death and so forth. So again, those are just a few little slivers, which if you are thinking, okay, painful, but if God's trying to get his glory, wow. He really is in all those ways and in a million more I don't know about. Andrew, if we return to your incident with your father, thankfully God's been gracious and has spared his life. We're grateful he's back home now, still rehab, working through things. How have you seen glimpses of God's goodness in this unsafe situation? So ours is recent enough that we're still working our way through what exactly uh, this was for, why, why this was in our lives. Uh, I don't think that we're going to understand a lot of it until, like you mentioned before, that we're in glory. We may not even realize it there. But a couple of the glimpses that I saw is along the same vein that you were just mentioning, the the love and the need for community became very present. Uh, it was a very dark time. It was one of those times where I, I could feel the pull of which way my life's going to go after this point. And having a strong, loving church community around our family, both in Fayetteville, where my dad's church is, and especially for us here at FBC, it it strengthened my desire to be in this community much more. It was also, I don't think, coincidence that 
I believe that I was handed the elder's application a couple of weeks before dad tested positive. My life has been very easy. I'll be the first to admit that up to this point. I've had some trials, but nothing this big in my life. And it really shook me out of my comfort zone right before I became an elder here at FBC. I feel the same way that you did with Michaela and the fact that it helps me sympathize. Never really dealt with a big illness like this before. Now that I get to be graciously a loving shepherd for this church, I can now help others. Um, it's, it, it's, it's been a few small things here and there that we're still working through, like I said, but you can definitely see the Lord's hand in it now that we're through it, but we could also see it while we were going through it. So there's a warning to anyone who wants to become an elder, <laughs> or probably any sort of leadership in God's, among God's people, to be honest. The Lord does provide trials, and for, for every Christian, the Lord provides trials. Some have many, many intense ones, far more than Andrew or I. It may be in the past you've wanted God to be a safe God, and so you've thought, if you pray hard enough and believe hard enough, then God will make all the hard, unpleasant things in life go away. And then it didn't happen, and very painful things occurred, and it really shook your faith in God. Is he good? You may have thought that way in the past, but I hope now in seeing how God is not safe, but he is good, that you will think this way. <laughs>